Well, a big Happy New Year to everybody. God bless you. I believe it'll be a great year. So, I want to talk to you about the spiritual rewards of risk-taking as we start a brand new year. I'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 14 to use as a story to illustrate a simple truth. I think for the past 70 years, our society's been conditioned to a psychology that's introspective, self-centered. We've been lost trying to understand ourselves, and we fail to understand what God might be saying to us. How many know that God has a reason for you living outside of yourself, outside of just self-seeking, selfish ambition, self-fulfillment? I like to read the Bible and history and discover people who live for something beyond themselves and found happiness and fulfillment while doing it. True fulfillment never comes by seeking fulfillment. It is the reward of laying your life down for something greater than yourself. Then you feel fulfilled. Yeah, it's got real meat in it. The book of Ecclesiastes says, to everything there is a time and a season. We're presently living in a season to act, probably a more action-oriented season than in a long time. There's a spiritual mega shift going on right now. There's a mood change in the church and in the nation. And the purpose of my message is to see the advantage of spiritual risk-taking. Now, this is a given. The reason more people don't act is that it's risky to act. As long as you analyze, is safe. You know, there are a lot of people that love to analyze what you do, but you're doing it. They're analyzing it. It's safe analyzing. Well, I think they should. Well, I don't think they should have. Well, she should have. Well, I just don't believe. See, all you are is a mouth. Somebody else is acting, doing something, at least trying to do something. While you, you know, there are a lot of people who sit and applaud, but they never get in the game. Or they boo, but they never get in the game. They've never been hit. They've never fumbled. They never dropped a pass. You've never been a Cowboy fan, probably. I, I don't know. But all I'm saying is, it's safe to analyze what other people are doing. Well, let's start. 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1 through 4. Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan his son in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent away, every man to his tent. And Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it, and they heard it said that Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines. Saul hadn't done anything. Jonathan did. But they had heard Saul had attacked a garrison of the Philistines, and that Israel had become an abomination now to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Now here's a very dangerous provocation. Israel had just come out of the period, the book of Judges. It's a lawless and wicked time where it says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. 
Israel was scattered. Israel was dominated by the Philistines, who were a very strong and aggressive people. Israel was coming out of this bad time under a leader named Samuel, who was a prophet. Israel now asked God for a king, and God reluctantly gave them Saul. Saul was not trained to be a king, but he looked like he would be a good king. And in our country today, it's all about appearance and image. And so he had the good looking, uh, the good looks to be president or the good looks to be a senator. Uh, He was handsome and charming. The Bible says he was head and shoulders above everybody else. So Saul was anointed king according to the people's wish. Saul got himself an army of about 3,000 men. He had a strong and courageous son named Jonathan. Jonathan was given a thousand of that army. And Israel is now under the oppressive heel of the Philistines. The Scripture doesn't say how, but it just says somehow one day a big fight broke out. Maybe one of Jonathan's men said to some Philistine, your mother's ugly. I don't know, but a fight broke out, and pretty soon Jonathan's thousand men defeated an entire garrison of the Philistines. So it got back to Saul that Jonathan had killed a garrison of Philistines. That was good news because Israel hadn't had any good news in a long time, nor had they had any victories. But notice now, there is a danger in small victory. How many know you can't pick a little fight with the devil? A lot of people want to beat the devil, but they don't want to make him mad. But you understand the devil's not trying to hurt you, he's trying to kill you. He he never has a good day thinking about you. Kill, steal, or destroy. That's my plan. Did you ever pick a fight you couldn't win? Well, a quarterback did on on the river walk a couple of nights ago with three bouncers and a policeman. That's kind of dumb. It happens sometimes, but it's too late because you were already committed to the fight. Well, this little band of Israelites had stirred up something a whole lot bigger than they were. And Saul blew the trumpet and word got out that he had done it. Now Saul has provoked this enemy and found himself in deep yogurt. Now look in verse 5. The Philistines now assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on a seashore. Lord Jesus, they showed up, folks. I mean, I mean, this is a—they got more chariots than Saul's got army. Now go on verse 6 and verse 7. When the Israelites saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks, in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even changed their church membership, crossed the land of Jordan to Gad and Gilgad. I mean, they'd bailed out. Saul remained at Gilgal, and the troops with him were all quaking with fear. So to say Saul is in trouble, you would agree that's an understatement. The Bible said Israel is hiding in every available place. So here you are surrounded by all your constituents, and they're all trembling and scared to death. And I think a lot of Christians are scared. They're in situations they're scared of. I think the power of the enemy is intimidating to some, and they realize they've gotten into something maybe over their head. Now Saul's waiting for the man that had ordained him to be king to show up for a religious meeting. Saul was waiting on Samuel to come because it was Samuel who had told Saul he was king. 
And Saul is wondering about his own leadership, not to mention everybody else now is wondering about his leadership too. Oh, and I forgot to mention, Saul is now down to 600 men, and his confidence is sinking fast. So Saul's waiting on Samuel to come and bring a prophetic word. Samuel had said he had come in seven days, and he hadn't come yet. Another interesting fact is that none of Saul's army had any weapons. Hmm. They had picked a fight and didn't have any weapons. You know, sometimes Christians are not the smartest people in the world. 1 Samuel 13, verse 22, so it came about on the day of battle, there was neither sword or spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan. So Saul and Jonathan are the only two guys that have swords. And the reason was the Philistines had all the blacksmiths, so they made the weapons and the Philistines had them. Israel had to go to the Philistines to get their tools sharpened. It'd be like the United States buying our weapons from Russia and then declaring war on Russia. How many of you know that that's not the brightest idea in the world? So notice, they've now upset the enemy. Saul's army's intimidated. Saul's followers are shaken, and the prophets overdue. So Saul decided he got to do something religious. People are leaving him in droves, transferring their memberships. It's a bad time. And he's thinking sometimes a religious meeting will kind of hold everybody together. So Saul proceeds to offer a sacrifice which he was not authorized to do. In the Old Testament, a king could not operate as a priest, and a priest could not operate as a king, but Saul went ahead and did it anyway. And just as he offered the sacrifice, wouldn't you know it, the prophet Samuel shows up. Saul said, well, I forced myself. Samuel said, too bad. You made a bad mistake. Verse 13, he says, you've done a foolish thing. Samuel said, you have not kept the command of the Lord God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought for a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. So imagine what kind of an effect that word from the prophet had on the 600 people left with Saul. So get the picture now. There's been a trumpet blowing. You've gone out to be in the army. The enemy shows up with 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horses, an innumerable army of people. Everybody on your camp is running away. They're hiding. Those left are shaking. You just had a religious meeting, no spirit in it. The prophet shows up, rebukes the king, and leaves. And now your leader is a rejected man, and you have no weapons. Oh, Jesus, help me. And one more detail, the priest that was serving this group of fearful was Ichabod's nephew. Ichabod means the glory has departed. And this is their spiritual leader in this great crisis. Now, I painted that lousy picture for you to say to you, 2016, on this first weekend, you're not nearly in that bad a situation. You are not. And the important thing this morning is to see how bad your situation can be and God still move, which is what we want to focus on now. 1 Samuel 14, first three verses. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to his armor bearer, come on, Frank, let's go over to the Philistines. Let's go over to the other side. But he didn't tell his father. 
Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, of whom was Ahijah, who was wearing the ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. Nobody was aware Jonathan had left. Verse 6, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised men. Just maybe the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from delivering us, whether by many or by a few. Well, his armor bearer said, do all that's in your heart. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, all right, come on then. We're going to cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we'll stay where we are and we won't go up. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up knowing that it's a sign the Lord has delivered them into our hands. So let's talk now about the exciting proposition, the possibility of supernatural help, the possibility that God might get involved in your situation with you. Now, to start out, we got a big dangerous provocation, starting a little fight with a big army, and then realize I'm over my head. The bad situation is that when you get in the midst of it, this battle starts to deteriorate and you find everything going downhill. You can't control it, you can't change it, and you can't win it. But the exciting proposition is that God can do something supernatural. Do you believe God still does supernatural things? It's just amazing to me that, that so many of us evangelical Christians gather around a supernatural name, Jesus, clothed in supernatural power, the power of the Holy Spirit, and we don't think anything supernatural can happen. We, we, we're the biggest prospects of all for something supernatural to happen, really. I mean, something occasionally supernatural, unexplainable, couldn't happen in a million years, like the wind last night in the natural with TCU, can happen. It's not over. Oh, maybe your ex-spouse said it's over. Maybe some attorney said it's over. Maybe a few bloggers told you it was over. Maybe your doctor told you it was over. You still breathing? It's not over. God's got the last word in every circumstance. Believe me, the last word. Your job's to believe that he can get involved and not to quit. That's a job. So Jonathan turns to his armor bearer and said, they, they just said, come up. The Lord's given them into us. Let's give them into our hand. We, we're going to have a whooping party right now. Let's get out of here. Let's go do something. Let's go out. Maybe God will help us. I mean, why sit here till we die? Let's try something. How many know you can die just sitting? You can be on the right track and still get run over if you just sit. Some of you think your life's going to get better just sitting in church. It won't. It's a good thing to be in church. You're starting off the first of the year, and for some of you, you could start by being a regular attender, get a lot of the Word in you, get a lot more faith built up in you, and probably change your future for some good outcome. But you're going to have to start. Something's got to happen. So they decide, you know what, our whole situation just sucks. It's bad. Let's try something. What do we got to lose? Sometimes you don't have anything to lose. Try something. Jonathan was a young man. He knew the situation was bad. He's not stupid. 
He didn't tell his daddy. His dad's afraid. He's hiding somewhere under a pomegranate tree. He didn't go through proper channels. Jonathan just said to his armor bearer, come on, let's try something. Go deep. I'll throw a long pass. We'll try something. Because there, there was nobody in the 600 men prepared to do anything. Think of that. So Jonathan ventured out with a different perspective than everybody had. And notice, he wasn't trembling. He wasn't afraid. Everybody else was afraid and trembling. And if you're afraid and nervous, you better stay in with the rest of the fearful. And if you've lost your confidence, I would suggest that's not a good time to attack. Really? No, no. Even God in the army of Israel told the leaders, send the fearful home. Let them transfer membership. This is not good for them. It's like cancer. It'll spread. Fear is toxic. It'll spread. I don't ever want to preach fear from this pulpit into you. And I don't care how bad the situation is. The one thing we aren't is going to be afraid. Never afraid. So, I love Jonathan's armor bearer. He said, do what's in your heart. I'm with you. Folks, if you've got a courageous leader in anything, in life, in coaching, in a family, in business, in church, if you've got a leader willing to take a risk, I hope you say, do all that's in your heart, we're with you. Now, the only exception would be illegal or immoral, well, of course, but it's better than nothing to sit around and just sit and hope and wish and dream. Do all that's in your heart, I'm with you. And real leadership's not based on total understanding about what the leader is doing. It's based on trust. Two things Jonathan knew. Number one, these are not covenant people. We are. God's got to help us because He promised. We belong to Him. You are a covenant child of God. You are more than an overcomer through Christ. You've got to know it, and you've got to believe it, and you've got to realize your enemy has already been defeated, but he wants to get in your face, shake your cage, and intimidate you. And so he growls like a lion. He's been defanged, but he growls like a lion to intimidate you, to bring fear upon you. You're not going to make it. Who do you think you are? And secondly, Jonathan knew God is able to save by many or by a few. And when he said few, he was just looking at him and his armor bearer, two. Are you all with me? We got 30,000 chariots. We got 6,000, 6, I don't know, charioteers. And then an army as numerous as they got two. God, God says, if, if just two or more shall agree as touching anything they shall ask, I'll do it. God doesn't need 5,000, just two, just two. You take a marriage, husband and wife, just two, come into agreement. You can shake heaven and hell. Two friends come into agreement. That's all. See, this is Scripture, not wishful thinking. So they go out together on this assumption that if they make a move, God will get in it with them. They saw the possibilities, not just the danger. They saw the opportunities, not just the obstacles. Folks, there's always obstacles for crying out loud. But can you see any possibilities? You know, I want to be on a team where we're, we're aware of the, of the threat. We're aware of the obstacle. But anybody got any eyesight about some opportunities? The opportunities usually come dressed as a problem. Usually they do. That's why most people don't seize them. And I'm believing this is a year of incredible opportunity for all of us. And I want you to jump on it and choke it to death and seize it. Opportunity. So, 
I still, a lot of Christians are trying to hang on and endure rather than become aggressive, rather than take a risk. So, Jonathan had a flexible plan. I think some people think if you're a believer, you don't have a plan. If I'm spiritual, I don't have a plan. You're nuts, right? Some people have a plan, but they don't leave room for God to get in the plan and alter the plan. So the plan was, we'll go over to the Philistines, we'll let them know we're there. If they say, stay where you are, we'll stay put. If they say, come up to us, that'll be a sign God's given us the victory. So this is not deep theology. This is practical. Their lives are on the line, to say the least. I mean, this sink or swim, live or die with two guys. You know, how many of you pray better when your life's on the line? Some of you, if some of you would take a risk and do something God really would challenge you to do, you'd find your prayer life really increased, and you didn't need a seminar or buy any CDs. You'd just pray. Jesus, help me. Oh, God, help me. See, their lives are on the line. This is all or nothing. Now, the Philistines, on the other hand, they're not very motivated. How charged up do you have to be when your enemy's hiding in holes? The Philistines are overconfident. They're slack. They're cocky. They're arrogant. Jonathan and his armor bearer had come up on them. They hadn't even noticed it. So Jonathan said, hey, we're here. And the Philistines laugh and say, come up here, we're going to show you something. And Jonathan looked at his armor bearer and said, oh boy, let's sing a chorus of blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Whoo, this is going to be fun. And I find it interesting God didn't even show up until Jonathan and his armor bearer announced their presence to the enemy. Sometimes you've got to wait a long time before God gets in something. And when Jonathan and his armor bearer got up to that little plateau where this Philistine garrison was, the ground started to shake. Notice also there were no manifestations of God at all until Jonathan took action and went up. Nothing. It's, you know, Jonathan killed all these guys over a half acre of ground, and Scripture says he won a great victory. God likes people who have faith to take a risk. Fearful people never evoke God's help. If you're afraid to act, afraid to speak, afraid to take a risk, I promise you, you will never know the power and blessing of God. You will not. He has not given you a spirit of fear. God hates fear. That's the enemy's weapon. And so, fear will keep you from doing the very thing that could bring deliverance, a great future, a better marriage, a better life. It could improve everything. But if you're afraid, then nothing's going to happen at all. Don't be afraid. And so, somehow we've created a safety zone in the church. Last year, I preached a message on safety last, because we're raised in a generation of safety first. We've got, we've got helmets for infants, we've got seat belt, buckle belts, we've got baby safety harnesses and buckle up and immunity shots, we, we've got sunscreen. We are the most safety prone society in the history of the world because everybody thinks it must not be Christian to take a risk. Where did you ever get, where in this Bible did God ask anybody to do anything safe? you got to get over that. It ain't safe, but whoa, it's exciting. And no matter how bad it may be, he's there. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And God doesn't, God's never intimidated by the, by the, um, 
What would I say the, I want to say the options, but by the, by the obstacles that you face, he's not intimidated by any of them. Nothing's a threat to God. Nothing. He, he can cough and, and kill a thousand. He can defeat your enemy with one hiccup. I mean, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. You got you to gotta get a bigger God in your life and realize it's not just you, it's you and Him together, right? So, don't be afraid. I think a lot of people have the idea Christianity is about being good, dressing up pretty, and doing nothing. Well, I didn't do anything bad. Yeah, but Ralph, you didn't do anything. I'd rather you do something bad and do, do something God's telling you to do. And God will use people you don't like. Why? Because they'll do something. The people God used were some pretty nasty, tough boys and girls in the Bible. A little risque, a little, a little bit of R-rated here. In fact, a little X-rated in some places. But God loved the fact they trusted it enough to do something. Well, I got this problem. I got everybody got problems. Join to read the Bible, man. These people from adultery to murder, tax extortioners, all kinds of people in here, and they're all the heroes you put on your dash. Yeah. I don't know, when I read that, I don't feel less about it. I feel encouraged. You know, if God throws you the ball, run with it. Run. He's not looking for pretty people, squeaky clean. He's looking for people who'll do what He said. That's it. I mean, David's a mess. He gets a girl pregnant. It's not his wife. What am I going to do? This is going to get in the media. I'll have her husband killed. That's a great idea, David. Yeah, yeah. Kill her husband. And Bathsheba. And... And you look at the eroticism and how awful it was, Old and New Testament, and yet God said, he's got a heart after my own heart. And he, he paid some heavy prices for bad choices. Let me just say this, that young man from TCU, he has no record of past misconduct. He's a good boy who did a bad thing. Okay, you can be a good person and do a bad thing. Don't throw people away that did a bad thing, they can recover. They can recover. I just, I just want to say that. Bob Mumford taught me that years ago. Don't ever forget, Ricky, a good man can do a bad, dumb thing. Don't. That's what grace is for. That's what mercy is for, for all of us. Amen? And for you, too. So if you've got a broken place and a little something you're a little embarrassed about, welcome to the crowd. Welcome. We're all in here for recovery. Everybody, right? So, if you let yourself be judged by the religious standards of San Antonio, Texas, you won't be worth a dime to God. Christianity's got to have some exploits in it, not just fashion, not just I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. How about something you do? Do something, you know. My wife um, took me to a movie that I didn't want to go see. Well, I wanted to go see Leonardo DiCaprio. And, don't tell me anything about it. I, I want to go see it. But I didn't get to see it. She took me to Joy, the movie Joy, which wouldn't have been my, you wouldn't, you wouldn't line me up for Joy, would you? Say, Let's get Rick a ticket for Christmas as a gift to go see Joy. But my wife did, so I did. I got to tell you, you need to see the movie. If you've got a dream, if you've got a dream, this is a Texas woman, single mother with three kids who has an invention about a mop that changes the world. 
But it, 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 she goes on to invent all kind of stuff. You can Google her and see. But the hell she went through, the family uh, the trying to steal and discredit and dis discourage her, and major companies trying to cheat and steal just to get a mop going was phenomenal. It, it'll, it'll, it'll strengthen your resolve to persevere because it's not going to be easy. And, and she won. Uh, but a long years went by. And well, it wouldn't be joy if she was defeated. Honey, you shouldn't take me out much. I know, I'm just whatever. But I recommend it to you if you're having a hard time. I recommend it to you. <laughs> Jonathan killed about 20 men, not spiritually, he killed them. David didn't kill a spiritual lion and a bear, he killed real ones. You with me? The only thing that's going to change our world or circumstances is the power of God, not fantasy. And Jonathan was moving in the power of God. And the interesting thing is this Hebrew group, the right group, the religious group, the trembling group, the scared group didn't even know anything was happening. But Jonathan was swinging his sword, and hair and teeth were flying everywhere. The Philistines are melting away, and pretty soon the noise was so disrupting that Saul and his 600 men figured something must be going on. Saul says, who's missing? Somebody must be missing. Somebody's doing something out there with the adversary. You can be so into yourself in your little world, you don't know someone's missing. So the word comes to Saul, Jonathan, your son is missing. Now, Saul gets religious. He wants a prayer meeting. Verse 18, Saul said to Abijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. Now, the Bible says there is a time to pray, but there is a time to stop praying and pick up a sword. So meanwhile, the noise of battle is getting louder and louder. There's confusion. The Philistines are running everywhere to escape. And finally, Saul says, forget the ark. Let's go help Jonathan. That's a good thing. When the 600 men rushed over and began to help Jonathan, some of the deserters who had transferred their membership crawled out of their holes, came back to join the war. Never put them down. Let them help. When you're cause-oriented, you don't care who helps you. A wrong perspective can make us reject people who can help us. See, when you're cause-oriented, you don't care who helps you. If you're in a fight and a bad dude is beating your face in, and a guy walks up and says, I'd like to help you, how many of you know it's stupid to say, no, I don't like you? <laughs> what do you believe about the rapture? What do you believe about body piercing? I mean, that's the way church people do it. No, if I'm in a fix and you offer to help me in a righteous cause, no matter if you're a pagan or a Buddhist, I'll take your help to fulfill my cause. That's a good thing. Well, I, I, I remember a, a guy that owned racetracks down in Florida oh, years ago, gave Oral Roberts a million dollars out of the gambling casino racetrack. And oh, the Christian outrage. He took money from a gambler. Sir, if you're listening by live stream, I will cash your check for the glory of God. If God owns everything, that's His money. If God owns everything and all the people in it, He's using you as a tool to advance His cause. 
If the devil can steal a Christian's money, we can steal the devil's money. How stupid not to receive that. But they do it. It's, I mean, that's what made me not want to be a Christian. The Christians. It's like, how can you be that ignorant? I don't know. It's like, it's like if I take that, it'll contaminate me. No, it's not going to contaminate me. I'm going to sanctify that. What are you talking about? It's just paper. It, you know, if I pick up, if, if, a, if a hooker drops a $100 bill and I happen to walk by later and see it and pick it up, I'm not suddenly going to become a pimp. I just, I just increase my net worth a hundred bucks. And the first thing I'm going to do is tithe it. All right. That's it. I mean, people get crazy about that stuff. It has no moral value at all. It's just a means to an end. It's a tool. It takes on the personality, the, the morality of the person that has it. So give it to us. We, we, got, we got expansions to deal with. We got all kind of dreams to fulfill and land to occupy. Please, what a question. But if you're in a fight and somebody said, I'd like to help you, we'll take their help. Well, he don't believe like we do or whatever. I don't care how he believes. It's ain't about what he believes. It's about what we're doing. He just wants to help me. Let him help me. That's God. God sent ravens to feed the prophet. The, the raven was an unclean bird in the Old Testament, unfit for sacrifice. And God used an unclean bird to feed a prophet. God can use an unsaved man to help you or woman he can, to help you. Absolutely. So don't call me. Take the help. Okay. Duh. Okay. Please. We get so into doctrines and personalities, we don't realize we're in a fight with the devil. He's beating your britches off, and there's somebody who can help us, but we say, well, I, I don't like the way you believe. So, if somebody offers you help, take the help. We need to whip the devil, not each other. We need all the resources God can give us. So I'll take a sinner's help. I'll take anybody's help. God's used lost people even through Old Testament history and New Testament to help His people in their cause. He, turn, he turns the heart of a king any way He wants, it says in Scripture. And God can use those people. Da Daniel found favor with the, as a eunuch with the chief eunuch guy had favor. Joseph found favor with a warden in the prison. Favor. These are pagan people, but they liked someone and wanted to do them good and help them. So get out of the idea. Listen, let me tell you who will do you the worst harm, a Christian. That, you haven't been hit till you get a Christian to, to do it. You talk about vicious. It's awful. So take the help. Since God made and owns everything, whenever people begin to turn their resources towards the purpose of God, they're your friend, not your enemy. It's crazy when you're in a fight and shoot down people on your own side. But the devil's had the church doing that for a long time. So the deserters rejoin the church because everybody loves success. And once they see you're not going to die and that God's with you, then everybody wants to come back. It's okay. I never burn bridges because people can come back. God, God's a God of comebacks anyway. So the deserters rejoin the battle, and the Bible says the Lord delivered them, and the battle spread. Now the close. All this is great news great victory, great triumph, great result, but somebody started it. It was a great victory, but it was a great victory only because somebody started it. Until Jonathan got up, nothing was happening. Nothing was changing. A lot start, but only a few go. Somebody has to move. 
So you can fantasize all day about what could be, what should be in a job, in a bad situation, in a ministry, but nothing will happen until you start. I think some of the greatest faith in this nation is in the business sector, not the church. A man goes to the bank, takes out a loan, risks everything that he owns and has on a business venture. He doesn't know how it's going to turn out, but he thinks he knows, and he starts. And it ends up being Microsoft or Apple or who knows what else. Go see Joy. You'll see something else. Yeah. See, today is a day to start, folks. The reason Noah's family didn't drown in the flood was one reason. Noah started. It took him 120 years, but he started. Ridiculed? Yeah. But he saved his family. Abraham started. Took him 30 years, but he started. Moses started. He was 80 years old. You senior men in here. He was 80 years old when he started, but he would never have finished if he hadn't started. 30 years ago, I started. Drove into town with a small family, a truck, and a dream, and we started. Uh, we started in a hotel room with a few people, and our rent was 150 bucks. We didn't own anything, didn't have a bank account, no salary, no sponsorship, no support from partners, nothing. Didn't own anything. Just rent a room and take a chance. And out of that, out of that start, just thinking you're hearing God, hoping you're hearing God, then 30 years down the road from a hotel room to that is all the result of we started. And, and looking over at Jim and Randy and, and uh, Percy and, and others in last night's service, guys, the guys that were on the board, we took a major financial risk. And there were a lot of potential problems. It's real edgy. A lot of things can happen, like the 08 collapse of the global economy, but we started. And sometimes when I don't feel we're as big as we should be or have yet achieved what I know God has for us yet, I'll pull out a picture and I'll just look and I'll say, that ain't bad from a hotel room and 150 bucks. 150 bucks wouldn't pay for three minutes of electricity in this business, in this building today. And it'll set for the next generation to do God knows what. We still face challenges. We still have great opportunities. But nothing, nothing. Lives would never have been changed. People never employed. Uh, influence never begotten if we hadn't started. You never know what could happen. If you don't start, you'll never know. You'll never know how you're going to finish up if you never start. So my challenge for the new year is venture out. God wants you to win some battles, tear down some strongholds. He wants you to have a prosperous job. He wants you to enjoy God and the things of God. He wants you to enjoy some good health. But you'll never know it unless you start. But if you start somewhere. Somewhere along the line, there's an exciting possibility God may get into it. And if He does, somewhere in heaven, your name will be added to a very important list of people called the overcomers. So God is saying to some of you today,
Start. Start. When are you? Somebody asked me, how do you get in the ministry? I said, I don't know. I didn't read any book. I didn't get a seminar. It's good. You can probably find some. I never had that. We just started. We just started. Well, it's pretty. We could have failed. Yep, we could have. And we'd have had to do something else. But we never would have known what was possible if we hadn't started. That's what I'm trying to say. And if you start and fail, you still grow. Because you know, you, at least you did it. You've learned something too. Though the righteous man falls seven times, the Lord will uphold him. Get back up, Jack. Come on. Let's try again. Maybe a different, different way, a different time, a different strategy, a different offense, <laughs> different defense. Cowboys, you can call an audible. Okay, please. <laughs> you can change the plan. But you got to start. And I just wanted it to be encouraging to you. Maybe, you, you know, you, maybe some of you need to go into a, uh, join an AA club. All right? That's not humiliating. It's a start. You don't know what kind of a great finish your life can have. You won't ever know till you say, well, I just don't think I could ever get or have or hold or uh, own or do. You won't ever know till you start. You won't know. Go ask for the scholarship. Go ask for the loan. Go uh, start that second business. Get good counsel, of course. Nothing foolish. But my point is, you'll never know what could be if you don't start. I don't know about you. I can't live with that regret like, what if? What if? Now you get old, you drool on yourself, you sit around senile, and you wonder, well, honey, I wonder what if we had, or what if we had done, or what if, what could have been? And a lot of people pass up opportunities every day and say, I wish I'd bought a piece of that. Wish I'd have made an investment in that franchise. Wish I'd have bought a piece of that stock if I had known, if I had known. Nothing's going to happen to if I you got to start. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed. you got to start. The Holy Spirit is saying, start. You'll make mistakes, but the biggest mistake you can make will be not to start. So wherever God's moving in your heart or life, this is the moment to begin. This is a season of great opportunities, going to be mega changes. Stay flexible. Stay alert be at peace. But when those opportunities come, they look a little bit terrifying. But when they knock on the door, I'm giving you permission. Start. Seize it. Go for it. Try. For more information on Summit Christian Center and Rick Godwin, visit SummitSA.com and connect with us on social media 